Välkommen till Fritankes poddradio. Idag har jag två personer med mig. Dels en sidekick känd från poddradiovärlden, nämligen från eh, Radio Howdy. John Howdy, välkommen hit. Tack så hemskt mycket. Tack. And the third guest is speaking English, so therefore I now switch to English. That is Professor Lawrence Krauss, the author of a book called A Universe from Nothing, which also is out in Swedish now, at Universum ur Ingenting. Very welcome to you. Thank you very much. My Swedish is not as good as it is in the book. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, tell me, why did you write this book? Well, I, I wanted to uh, celebrate uh, our remarkable revolutionary discoveries that have taken place in in the last 30 or 40 years that have changed our picture of the universe. And, of course, the other thing I wanted to do was was uh, address a question which was kind of the last bastion of God and religion. Why is there something rather than nothing? Which I constantly have thrown at me when I lecture. Now we, yeah, sure, science can do this, but how, why, why is there something rather than nothing? And the amazing thing, of course, that I wanted to demonstrate is that if... A universe was created from nothing by just the laws of nature without a without any supernatural shenanigans. And he asked, what would be the characteristics of that universe? The amazing thing is, they're exactly the characteristics of the universe in which we live. And I thought that was worth celebrating. Okay. John, do you know why there is something rather than nothing? <laughs> why we are here. What, yeah. I mean. <laughs> What's your comment to that? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, as a magician and, and someone who, who just barely made the school I would love to <laughs> go and elaborate about that well you you as a magician you probably make something from nothing all the time no but uh, you make nothing from something too probably yeah but the, the, the nothing should be somewhere uh, so it's hidden before. somewhere and yeah. that's what most people think they yeah. most they think they think it's sleight of hand that what I'm yeah. talking about is just sleight of hand and there's really something somewhere and I'm just <laughs> pretending But what happens is it, it do, it's amazing that you can create everything we see, all 400 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars per galaxy, all of that from nothing. You, you start with empty space, for example, just empty space, which is the old classical nothing of the Bible and eternal mm -hmm. dark, empty void. Well, that's unstable. That kind of nothing is unstable. If you wait long enough, you're guaranteed to find something. Out of empty space, particles will pop into existence, and it doesn't violate any laws of physics. And um, and in fact, the 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 interesting question was is not why is there something rather than nothing, but it, the, a far more interesting question would be why is there nothing rather than something. But then, if there we you wouldn't be around to ask the question if there weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> what would you say about this argument? I heard a philosopher saying that you can argue from a purely statistical point of view saying that the the only the, the something can be sort of realized in many different ways but nothing can be realized only in one way so therefore it's more likely to be something than nothing well you know it well that's not a bad argument in, in, in as long as you can go for the transition or or you have the set of possibilities in fact i think that i've used that argument that that there can for example if there are many universes uh the probability that you find absolutely nothing in the universe is very small when there's the likelihood of finding something. Mm -hmm. And so if you if you're allowed a probabilistic view, that's fine, but that implies in some sense that there's an ensemble of universes or an ensemble of possibilities. And I do think there are there is an ensemble of possibilities and quantum mechanics allows for that. Mm -hmm. And the point is that 
You know, the fundamental thing, which I try and convince some philosophers of, and they understand it, and other philosophers are too pig-headed to understand it, um, and that is that nothing is a physical quantity. The reason it's a physical quantity is because nothing is the absence of something. Mm. And so to understand what nothing is, you have to understand what something is. And our views of all of that have changed. And some people are object and are, are, are horrified or or indignant about the fact that science has changed the meaning of nothing. But I call it learning. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to do it. I mean, we have to, we can't just stop, learn. We, we just have to, I mean, it's easy to say that, well, God created uh, uh, the universe because we, we don't... It's a want, lazy yeah, man. So, well, it that, is. It's yeah. just, a, it, instead of saying, I don't understand it, I just call it God. Yeah. So whenever people give up understanding or they give up thinking, They name it God, and the point. Then the fascinating question is that: Can you actually think your way through it, and mm -hmm. um, and not take the easy way out? And that's what science is all about, ultimately. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> would you say there are many universes? Is that your view? Well, look, my my view is irrelevant in that some sense, I, and that's the important thing. The universe doesn't exist so to make me happy or you happy. Mm. But our current ideas, based on on fundamental physics suggests for a number of reasons that there are likely many universes. Mm. And um, and in each universe, the laws of physics could be quite different. But what I, what I actually mean is, what are the, I mean, it sounds like a very speculative theory that there are many universes. Mm. So my question is, what are the evidence for it? Well, it is speculative, of course. And and I talk in the book, I try and separate what we know and what we speculate about. And, he, and, it, and, and when it's well-motivated speculation and not well-motivated speculation. But the, the point is that we have an understanding, we have some ideas about how our universe had the characteristics or evolved to have the characteristics we measure today. And one of these ideas has to do with something that we think happened in the very early universe, which is quite likely based on what we know about particle physics, something called inflation. It's well-motivated based on our understanding of particle physics. It says that At early times, the universe basically expanded very, very fast, at increasing in volume by 90 orders of magnitude in a time a period of a millionth of a billionth of a billionth of a billionth of a second, which sounds amazing and ridiculous, yeah. but it naturally can happen. Mm -hmm. But that process, called inflation, also naturally continues on forever, so that some regions leave this inflation and they have what's called a Big Bang, And, and, and yet there's a metaverse, if you want, that's continuing to inflate. It's a natural consequence of a theory. So, and one of the things about this theory is it, it makes predictions about what the universe should look like after you leave inflation. And we measure what's called the cosmic microwave background radiation, the afterglow of the Big Bang. And it has all the characteristics you'd predict. So, so... That so, measurement was awarded the Nobel Prize, wasn't it? Uh, it was awarded, in fact, two Nobel Prizes. Really? Uh, oh. Well, when it was first discovered in 1965 by two people who didn't know what the hell they were doing. Mm. Um, and then, and then, but, but you don't have to know what you're doing. To That's win good. It's, I, hope, I hope this doesn't upset the Swedish people to know this, but it's true. You don't have to know what you're doing to win the Nobel Prize. It doesn't involve knowing what you're doing. And many people haven't who've won the Nobel Prize, all you have to do is discover something interesting. Yeah, and because they thought it was birds disturbing the, the they, telescope. They cleared out, well, in fact, yeah, they cleaned out what they called a white dielectric material, which was pigeon droppings uh, from the antenna. <laughs> yeah, that was in 1965. And then, and then again, it won another Nobel Prize for, for the image of, of what it looked like in, 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 19, in the early 1990s. And, and, um, and it's worth it because it is 
a baby picture of the universe. It, mm. it, it tells us it's a picture of what the universe looked like when it was just 100,000 years old. And, I, uh, and so the, not, the thing I want to point out is that inflation makes some predictions of what that picture should look like, and they agree with the picture. The picture so, so there are other consequences of inflation that we can't measure, and one of them is the likelihood that there are other universes. But since it does yeah. a good job of explaining what we see, we think it's likely. And if it's likely, then there are also other universes. Okay, I see what you mean. Uh, but I know that you're not a big fan of string theory. That's another kind of speculation. Well, string theory also provides another way of having many universes because it requires extra dimensions. Above your nose, there could be six extra dimensions six. that you can't see. But mm. and, and I'm not a fan of string theory only in the sense that it hasn't produced anything. It's not mm. that it's not interesting or well-motivated. In fact, I wrote a whole book about it. But... But it's not. It's been a. It's been a very powerful failure in terms of uh, connecting to reality, and and therefore, while it's it's also not, it's also not poorly motivated. There are many reasons that physicists have been driven in that direction. There's no evidence whatsoever that has anything to do with reality, and so I object to the hype associated with it. That everyone has heard of string theory, even though there's no evidence that string theory has anything to do with reality. And in fact, we don't even understand what string theory is. <laughs> Strings may not even be a part of string theory. So it's... it's Why is it a hype around it? Well, it's Good PR to, people. Good PR. Good PR. Good PR. Good PR. Yeah, 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 that's right. Hype is... Even in physics, it's, yeah, it's all about PR. Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but because uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, paranormal uh, explanations, as they uh, mm. say it is, they use the string theory uh, as well, an excuse you, for. Well, well or quantum people abuse physics all the yeah. time. They use quantum mechanics to yeah, yeah. fool people. Especially. And yeah. and uh, in the old days, actually, there were magicians or at least uh, conjurers <laughs> who uh, who used extra dimensions a lot and con people because of it. Because, well, it's hard to talk over the podcast for people to think about this, but. But but if you drew if you take a piece of paper and draw a circle on it, okay. If you lived in the two dimensions, then you'd either live outside the circle or inside the circle. And to get inside the circle, you'd have to cut your way in. But if you can look at it for three dimensions, you can reach out and reach into the circle without ever mm. doing it. So if if there was an extra dimension, a fourth dimension, I could do operations on you. I could reach inside your body without ever cutting you open. Yeah. And sure. there were these people who claimed they were four dimensional healers who would reach inside your body in the extra dimension and take out what was wrong exactly. without ever having opening you up Heal, healing and stuff like that yeah right? and they, they convince people as often that's you your know. next show yeah. <laughs> you can fourth fool. dimension healers you can fool some of the people I'm very pleased by the way that I have a I have now a role in magic a little bit uh, a little a little. Explain. oh you do well really? only in the sense that my friend uh, who you may know Penn Jillette oh yeah a, and yeah. Uh, who's a who's I'm a, a friend of Tellers yeah okay well I know Teller too but, yeah. but Penn is a uh, active uh, atheist and uh, anyway they they're doing a new trick a sort of an, uh, an atheist deck of cards and it's based on science and and so um i helped them with the trick i helped them with the words and the and the language they do the tricks really? I, haven't, i haven't yet seen it but it's based he, he on hasn't it. mentioned anything about that he has a podcast by the way yeah i've been on his podcast so this is uh, this is something it's new. not it hasn't come out yet i think yeah, it has breaking news when breaking it comes news. out when it it's comes out in las cards. vegas and it's based on attending a <laughs> A lecture of mine, and so uh -huh. uh, the, the story is that they attend a lecture of mine. So oh, I'm waiting cool. to see it in Las Vegas, and when it, when it, when it's done, I will I will um, be really eager to. Um, is to it see a trick it. deck? 
Uh, well, it does many different things. Yeah, of course. It's, 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 they do many different tricks with it. It must be. Yeah, yeah, and I can't wait to, yeah, exactly. I can't wait to see it. And, yeah. and, and uh, I have to go to Las Vegas soon and see it. You know, that John is, is not only a magician. He's also quite heavily involved in the skeptic movement in Sweden and in the secular movement. Well, I think movement. it's good. You know, like Randy, I mean, magicians mm. are really important for skeptics because the good magicians yeah. point out to people they're not doing magic. They're yeah. doing yeah. they're tricks. making doing tricks. Mm -hmm. And, he's and, the Swedish uh, Randy, actually. Oh, really? Slightly well, younger, younger though. Than Randy. I'm taller than Randy. Randy goes well, up slightly to younger. Younger. I'm younger than you. Yeah, I don't yeah. have the beard like Yeah, you yeah, know. you're younger and a lot taller. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he, he's... Uh, He goes. He's he's a short little fellow, but oh, a yeah. good guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. You you met him, and uh, oh, yes. I met him as well in yes. Sweden. He's been here quite a few times. Yeah, we did a TV show together in Sweden. Uh, as well, ah, so, yeah. okay. Yeah, so we, we bent spoons and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I was just yeah, thinking string theory, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just um, the discussion about uh, dimensions just mm -hmm. reminded me of what I think is a beautiful thought experiment. Yeah. I don't know who invented it, but as you said, if you had two dimensional creatures. Uh, Uh, living in uh, in a flat land, yeah. and if you should if you showed them a um, three dimensional sphere, sphere, they'd see it as a they, yeah. you, they wouldn't see it unless you pass it through yes. them their their plane, and uh, what they would see is a circle that would expand and then it started as a point it would become a expand, circle it would expand yeah. and get small again. In fact, and what they would say is that the third dimension is time. Because it is a circle changing over time. Well, they, they might is, say that, and and you know that that example of the circle, hmm. of course, is a famous one. It's a book that maybe you should translate into Swedish <laughs> if it isn't already, but it's probably done. It's a very famous book called Flatland. Yeah, exactly. Was, That's where I got it from. A mathematical romance, probably the only mathematical romance that I like to point out. <laughs> and I wrote about it in one of my books. And, yeah. Uh, It is, and in fact, it's about a two-dimensional being who encounters a three-dimensional sphere. Yeah. And it's exactly that. He sees. He sees that, and then the sphere takes him outside, so he can see that there is a universe outside. Yeah. And then they imagine there are more than three dimensions, four, five, six, it goes yeah. all the way up to ten. So they were very smart because they got the right number of dimensions for string theory in that book. <laughs> we have to talk a little bit about quantum theory as well, because it seems to be very counter... Yeah, let's go with the easy questions. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it seems very counterintuitive. I mean, the things, well, it is very things are entangled. Well, and you know, the point is that Richard Dawkins and I were just recently talking about this in, a, in a, an event we did together. Um, Look, we evolved on the savanna in Africa to escape lions. We didn't evolve to understand quantum mechanics. And <laughs> no. so it's not surprising that quantum mechanics is very non-intuitive because it involves areas of reality that are foreign to us, that we don't experience directly. And therefore, they don't make sense. But that doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. It just means that our, our, our common sense evolved to understand the phenomena on a scale that we, we can measure. And... and And quantum mechanics is absolutely crazy. It, mm. it predicts. It says that an electron can be in two places at once. That when I, if I throw a baseball, it'll take a nice curve from from me to you. But but if I take an electron, it takes every single path between me and you. It goes to the moon and back, and it, it does all of that at the same time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in fact, the person who described quantum mechanics that way is is Richard Feynman. And I wrote a, a book about Richard Feynman because yeah. it's called Quantum Man, because he really re revolutionized the way we think about quantum mechanics. I must ask you, before we talk about uh, your other activism, uh, what quantum interpretation do you subscribe to? I mean, uh, there are different ideas of how well, to... You know, I don't subscribe to many... I don't worry about it. Because, okay. because a friend of mine who was now deceased, a very, very intelligent physicist, 
a remarkable man named Sidney Coleman at Harvard, was a great physicist. But he used to say, you know, we shouldn't talk about the interpretation of quantum mechanics because the world is quantum mechanical. We really should talk about the interpretation of classical mechanics because the world we see is an approximation of reality. So, of course, any way that you describe the underlying reality in terms of this crude approximation is going to sound crazy because the world isn't classical. So all of these interpretations of quantum mechanics to try and make it seem sensible are just approximations of an underlying reality, which is true. So I, I guess I just try and use quantum mechanics and not worry about what it means. Or, you know, or at least worry about... But aren't you curious? Well, I mean... Of course, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the by the weirdness of it. Absolutely, I'm fascinated by the weirdness. But I I I guess I I realize that because I'm a limited human being who grew up as a classical object, I'm always forever going to be limited in my intuitive understanding of the underlying. So I can understand the mathematics and utilize it. And but I don't need to have a picture that's complete because I know that there is no classical picture that's complete. So yeah, sure, there's a, the the best of the classical pictures in my mind is something called the many worlds interpretation, but. You know, and it sounds like science fiction, but, you know, where every time I make an observation, I split reality into, you know, there's an infinite number of branches. And every time I see something, I pick one branch and then another branch. And every time I do it, an infinite number of branches. Pop, and it sounds fascinating, but I guess I don't worry about it too much. <laughs> That's good. I was just debating with some philosophers in Oxford who take that kind of stuff seriously. And I think it's the job of philosophers to take the thing seriously because mm. they have nothing else to do. <laughs> Well, I actually had the uh, Australian philosopher Peter Singer here uh, for, for, uh, uh, in Sweden a while ago, and we were talking about quantum mechanics. And then he sent me an email. He was flying back to Australia uh, the next day, and he sent me an email when he arrived and said, and he wrote to me that actually on the plane, I solved it. I finally understood how this worked out. But then I fell asleep, and when I woke up, I had forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Fermat's last theorem. Yeah, exactly. exactly. An email he wrote was already sent. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, now we have to talk about what you've been doing in London lately. Uh, do we have to? Okay. <laughs> yes, we have to. Yes. I don't want to revisit it. Because we, we love this. Yeah. What well, happened, really? It's you a were controversy. In... What happened? Well, yeah. it's, a lot happened. Well, I guess not much happened but the, of significance, <laughs> but apparently it seems to be significant to people around the world. Uh -huh. um, I agreed, and probably, uh, like many things I do, it's ill-advised. Maybe doing this podcast is one of them. But, <laughs> but uh, um, uh, I agreed to debate uh, a, a Muslim group, an Islamic group, um, on the subject Islam versus atheism, which is more sensible. I like the title because it seemed like something you could answer in oh, about one second. Um, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, but in any case, and, and I, I, I have debated a, a, an Islamic group in, in Australia, in fact, and and it wasn't that bad. It was a, you know, I, of course, I destroyed the person I was debating with, but he was a, not a bad guy, and, and it was he was interested in trying to have a discussion. In any case, and by the way, the, one, the, the event in Australia was almost entirely Muslim. It wasn't advertised outside the Muslim community, so everyone in the audience was, and it was a respectful discussion. Um... I mean, I didn't respect their ideas because they're nutty, but but uh, but I tried to respect the people, um, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so I, I agreed to do something similar here. In advance, they seemed very respectful. Then I started to get emails from people who said, "We're warning you that tickets are being sent out asking for your gender and your religion and for seating purposes." And I thought, and I and I asked the organizers, and they said, "Oh no, no, that's 
that's a mistake. And then I and then other people I got a note saying, you know, there'd be gender selection and I I um I asked the organizers and they said, Well no, no, that's again a mistake that was sent out. It's gonna be voluntary, you can sit where you want and and so I arrived um after people had been seated, most of them, and um my host brought me in and they were very nice to me. Um and uh I noticed there were sections labeled uh, women in the back, of course. Labeled as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were labeled women, men, okay. and mixed. Oh, wow. And, uh, and you know, look, I, at first it didn't bother me because I figured if you could sit wherever you wanted, then, it, then, then, you know, then it wasn't that bad. But I said, look, you know, you told me it wouldn't be gender segregated. And they said, yeah, this is just suggestive. You can sit wherever you oh. want. Mm-hmm. So I said, can I announce that to the audience? They said, yes, or at least the person I spoke to said yes. I immediately took the microphone before anyone could say no. And I said, I want the audience to know that you can sit wherever you want. It's just suggested, but you can sit wherever you want. So I was then getting ready, and then two, two, three young boys moved. And then I look up, and there are a bunch of security people, very big people, one of whom was my bodyguard, apparently. They designed me a bodyguard, which scared me. Um, uh, uh, anyway, they were surrounding these guys, and the kids called out, Professor Krauss, help us, and like Superman, I decided when a call for help comes. Yeah, you're you're a big guy as well. Too. Yeah, I'm a big guy, so I scared them exactly. I'm since we're in the radio, I'm huge. Anyway, uh, but uh, um, so I went up there and 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 said, "What's the problem?" And they 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 um, they said these guys are a disturbance. And I said, "Well, they don't look like a disturbance to me." And I said, "And they look like three young, terrified kids." And um, and I said, well, look, look, you're just going to sit down and not cause any problem. They said, yeah. And I said, well, let them sit down. And the security guard said, no, we have to go outside. We have to take them outside. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, they said, don't leave me alone. Don't leave us alone. So I went out with them. And then the guard said, okay, we're going to evict you. you. You're a threat. And I said, they're not a threat. I said, are you guys a threat? And they said, no. And I said, they're not a threat. Let them back in. They said, no, we made the decision. They're a threat because they moved in, into the women's section. Uh-huh. And... So I said, I'm not going to talk unless if you don't let them back in. They said, well, they're a threat. I'm sorry. So I went down. I told to back down to the front of the auditorium. And I said, look, I, uh, you told me it wasn't going to be segregated. And these kids have been booted out. And they said, well, the security guards have made the decision. I said, too bad. I'm not here. If you don't desegregate it, if it's segregated, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out of here. And I guess someone took a video of it, which It's on the happens, internet, yes. Which yes. is everything you do is gets videotaped on the yes. internet. And... Uh, and I walked out, and um, and I kept thinking when I walked out, I hope they don't come get me because I really don't want to do this debate. <laughs> and and, uh, and, for, and of course, I knew that the public relations would be so bad if I walked out that they came running after me, and they said, "Okay, okay, we're letting them back in. People can see where they want." And and we had that. We then had the debate, which was which was ridiculous. Uh, and um, and um, and then of course it caused a, a huge furor because. Well, I guess I'm in some sectors a hero because of that. I mean, I've gotten a lot, obviously, from around the world, a lot of people responding. But it actually had a, an impact because what happened was this was at University College London. This wasn't in a mosque or this was a, a secular institution. And um, and so as a result of the complaints and then, I, oh, I should say, I found out from the young lady, in fact, who took the video and others that it was much worse than I thought that apparently women and men had to enter in separate entrances. And she was a single woman, and she had to find someone to pretend to be her boyfriend and to go, or, or to go to the mixed section. It wasn't as if you could choose. So they were going hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as if you were a single woman, you could choose wow. to be in the single woman section or in the mixed section. According to her, 
she was told unless she was with someone, she was to go to the women's section. And so it was much worse. Now, look, I've talked to the organizers and my I'm willing to believe that they're honest about this. They did not intend that, apparently, but it, that's how it was enacted. And, and uh, so the ultimate end result, which I suppose is a great victory in my opinion, is that University College London has now um, uh, banned that group from holding events at University College London because they say, you know, they obviously don't approve of segregated, segregation by anything, much less gender. And, um, and, you know, I said to the organizers after, I said, look, you know, the voluntary stuff, okay, I can almost understand that. But why the women in the back? Why couldn't you do like left hand side as men and right hand side as women? You know, it's, yeah, but, well, it's, yeah. but and, and the people who were maddest at me, people who glared at me with the most hatred, were the women, the Islamic oh, really? women. Okay. Um, and by the way, when I left, when I walked out, uh, what interested me is there are lots of boos and jeers and cheers also from some of the people. But, um, but what, I met at least one person yelled intolerant. You know, I was intolerant for not allowing the segregation, mm. which uh -huh. is intriguing. But the women, and then the last question that was asked during the, during the debate, there were questions at the end, uh, question and answers, was from a woman who said, how dare you? Why do you think, well, you know, why do you think you did me a favor? I, you know, why do you not think I have the right to be alone in a segregated region? And I told her the truth. I said, well, of course I told her the truth, but I told her my opinion as well, which is, that this was, you know, she made the choice. She wasn't going to a mosque. This was a debate that was uh, free and open and not to be gender segregated. And so she has a choice when she leaves her house. If she was uncomfortable being near men, then she shouldn't come to the debate. Hmm. It's like going to a hockey game or a soccer game. You know, you just don't have the choice. Moreover, if she wasn't comfortable, there was ample opportunity for her to move if she was found herself sitting next to a man. So the onus is on her to react that way because she is coming to a public event and not a private event. And while I sympathize with her being uncomfortable, if that's the way she feels, and I don't want her to feel uncomfortable, she put herself in that situation. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Because it wasn't a mosque, we have to pinpoint that again. Yeah, it wasn't a mosque if or a wedding. A mosque, or, it was okay. If I'd gone to speak at a mosque religion. or a wedding or yeah. something, but I wouldn't have done it yeah, in the sure. first place. No. This was a, a university in a in a, and so uh, I think it's really vitally important. I, I guess that people, and and I don't see it as intolerance or racist or anything else. It's it's that um, uh, religion can't dictate the behavior of people outside of religious circumstances. Mm. And I didn't do it to be a hero, and I certainly didn't do it knowing it was being videotaped. I did it because these three boys are being ejected, and they shouldn't have been ejected. That was all. That was what started the whole thing. Is that I said you can move. The kids did what I told them they yeah. could do, and they were penalized for it. And I didn't wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna allow that to happen. But how could it be a threat when they were moving from the, the men's section to the ladies' section? Well, I, I guess they, they, they they I guess the 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 men that felt that the women were threatened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And some of the women claimed they were threatened. And I felt like saying, if they're threatened, then again, once again, well, I mean, as some people have pointed out, it's one of the reasons that I didn't even need to debate the fact that Islam is less sensible than atheism. Mm -hmm. Because if the mere presence of a man is threatening, there's something not sensible about it because half of the planet is men and, and, and you shouldn't feel threatened just by the mere presence of, of a man. And by the way, I made a big point of at the very beginning of saying, I wasn't attacking Islam. I was attacking all religions. There's nothing special about Islam. It's stupid for some ways, and other religions are stupid for other ways. Mm. There's nothing. 
The premise of the debate was ridiculous because it made Islam seem like it was special. It also made atheism seem like it's a belief system, which it isn't. So the two couldn't be compared in that way. And I tried to indicate that. And then the video is going to come out. And, and, you know, I said a variety of things there that I knew would be... Well, I, I, I try to make a point of saying what I believe. I, I, I don't want to be politically correct, and I don't want to cater to the microphone, although I sometimes do, perhaps. Um, uh, but, you know, I said some things I knew, and already, already they've been released by the organizers to demonstrate what an immoral man I am. So oh, I really? knew that would happen when I talked about incest, for example. Oh. Now, you have to, now you have to explain what no, you said. No, I don't know whether I want to. I shouldn't have brought it up. You have to watch the video. Uh, one thing that I think about when I hear your name is that a lot of people has no problem to criticize Christianity or something like that. But when we go to Islam, it's very difficult. Well, yeah, because, you know, it's, it's terrifying. I mean, whenever I told, when I told people, it's amazing. When I told people I'm going to debate an Islamic group, they said, you be, should be careful. Hmm. And they wouldn't say that of a Christian group, although they damn well should, because the only other time I've needed protection was debating a Christian. You're doing a new movie now with Richard Dawkins. Yes. Tell us about that. What is it? Well, it's kind of a rock and roll yeah. tour film, but about science. It, it, it not a spinal tap. No, not movie. quite. Well, you might, there are comparisons. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, uh, It follows Richard and I around the world on a tour as we as we uh, we did a series of conversations, unscripted and unmoderated, uh, at, in various locations around the world. And there are segments of those of those conversations, and also, of course, a lot of a lot of following us in between and discussions in between. It also follows us on some TV shows. So there's a lot of material that isn't isn't available already on the internet. Uh, but it's 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 really following us as we try and argue that. Science and reason are, should be the basis of the, how we behave, and and we have a lot, a lot of and to, in order to promote that, it's not an atheist film per se, although I'm sure it will be called that by the media, uh, because, we, because we do make fun of religion at various times, and and there are lots of Randys in it, and lots of you know, there's a lot of lot of uh, people who who do speak out against religion, and but the purpose is to is to praise science and reason, and and that's why we have a lot of um, of my friends who are celebrities and. Hollywood. And yeah, and, and this is not a not a B class uh, celebrities. Yeah. Just tell us about. So there's you know the, so in the in the movie there's we have uh, Woody Allen and Cameron Diaz. And, Never heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> and they and they speak out about about science and, and and the need to understand the world and the need to not treat religion differently than other things. And and I think uh, I'm glad. I, look, I did that not just because of course celebrities help you bring people into movies, but it's mm -hmm. not just that. What I wanted to show people is that it's not just scientists. It's not just people like Richard and me. It's 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 people that they look up to in one way or another that also um, like science, first of all, which is a lesson I want people to learn, and also realize how important it is to, to to understand the world. So, you know, if it's fine for me to say it and Richard to say it, but but they can view us as you know as scientists or or whatever they label us. But the people they don't label that way when they suddenly see them. Speaking out, I, I hope it'll cause. I hope it'll cause a lot of people to think. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to see it because they're fans, of course, mm. and and there'll be a lot of people who don't see it because um, um, they, you know, they, they they can't stand us, maybe. But but there'll be a lot of people who I think I've never thought about these issues, and I hope to drag them into the theater by the celebrities at the very least mm. and get them thinking about these controversial issues. One of the neat things, by the way, is. I, you know, I had a lot of fun with my Muslim hosts 
before the, the, the show, not so much afterwards, but, but, um, but they were very nice to me. But one of them was so funny. He was doing an interview with me for, I think, a podcaster. And he said, I saw the trailer for the show and I loved it. <laughs> That's funny. And I thought, because he liked the cinematography. It's a, as a piece of filmmaking, in my opinion, it's a wonderful piece of filmmaking. And I'm, I think it's a great movie and I'm biased, but I'm... I'm also What's the film called? Producer. I'm also executive producer. So <laughs> What's yeah, it called? It's called The Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Yeah. Have a web page or something? Yeah, you can go website. to unbeliversmovie.com and you can go to YouTube and see the trailer. And the world cool. premiere will be at the Hot Docs International Film Festival, uh, Documentary Film Festival in Toronto, the end of April, April 29th. And, uh, and then hopefully it'll be coming around the world to a theater near you. Hopefully we'll... Maybe we'll come here to Sweden and, 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 and have it at a theater here. John, so, we should try to arrange some kind of premiere showing on absolutely. that here. Absolutely. It would be fun. Richard and I could come up and it would be yeah. kind of a lot of fun. Yeah, he doesn't live so far away. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. do. I live a little further, but I'm in Europe. But you like I, traveling? Yeah, I, 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 I unfortunately travel a tremendous amount, and I know I will be in Europe a few times in the summertime. It's okay. We, we, we can switch both of you for Cameron Diaz. Yeah, yeah. yeah I figured that. <laughs> yeah, to bring Cameron her. may be at a... We're going to have a test screening in Phoenix uh, next week and Cameron, I think, will be there, I'm hoping. Oh, good. Okay, she, we'll be there too. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron is... She was great. And, and we're, we're, she's a good pal. And, and uh, I think she's great in the movie. I really do. And you can tell her what you think, but I think she does a great job. Who else? Ricky Gervais? Is in Ricky Gervais... Uh, Another woman who's maybe not so familiar in, in Sweden, Sarah Silverman, who's oh, very yeah, sure. yeah, we know. And and, yeah. Um, and then and then so she's outspoken as well. So. Yeah, she's yeah. outspoken. Ricky and Sarah and uh, uh, Bill Pullman, who's a wonderful actor. Mm -hmm. um, Titanic. Uh, uh, yeah, he? Yeah. he was in uh, um, was the Independence Day, also yeah. the movie. He was yeah. the president. Ah, yeah, yeah Independence that's Day. right. And um, then uh, um, then there's some writers, uh, uh, Ian McEwan, who's a well known, and then and then. Uh, a very well-known English writer, Cormac McCarthy, um, and and then we have one scientist in it who's a celebrity. Uh, we have Stephen Hawking, who's a friend of mine, but he's the only other scientist. And then in in the movie, there's also Eddie Izzard and um, and Randy. There are other people who appear um, in there, and I'm trying to think if there are any other interviews that I'm that I'm missing. Uh, but I think yeah. So there's a great, quite diverse a, set of people. Yeah, a great lineup. I yeah, it's say. a great lineup, and 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 you can see the lineup when you look at the trailer. Yeah, sure. It's uh, uh, and I think it's a it's a it's a fast paced film that I think has a real sense of narrative, and um, and so it's I, I, as as I said, the young directors that I chose uh, to to do it are, are really the, the 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 film company is a great group of young guys who used to do music videos. And I think they've done a fantastic job. There, there's 250 hours of footage that was wow. that was uh, wow. taken that was condensed down to, to 76 minutes. So it's um, it's it's a really fast. And of course, it means there's other footage we can use maybe at some other point. You should fact, use a DVD with the extra material. We will do some extra material. On each box. of the interviews we did <laughs> with Cameron, each of the interviews I did with Cameron. Oh, and Werner Herzog's in it as well. My friend, Werner Herzog. Yeah, oh. filmmaker Werner Herzog's a friend of mine. Oh. Werner's in it, and. Oh. Um, uh, cool. Each of the interviews we did was about an hour long with Werner and Woody and and Cameron and the others and uh, and we used them only for a few minutes in the film so so there's a lot of other footage. We Who did finance it? Did you do? Uh, did you I, I I raised the money for it. You raised the money. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We didn't do a Kickstarter. Program. No, no, we didn't. Like they do, do for, that. for the uh, James. I know, Randy I know. There are a lot of people doing Kickstarters. No, no, I just went to the big money. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> that's a good idea. And, and that and 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 in fact, actually, the amazing thing is the movie. It's got a wonderful history, and we'll talk about it. Uh, 
probably in the, in the premiere, but um, it it happened. It came to be. Richard and I were beginning our tour of of Australia, uh, and one month before, I started to talk to the the boys of the filmmakers and said, "Let's do a movie." And uh, and I raised the money in a week. And it would have the movie the movie um, if we hadn't done it the way we did it would have cost five to six million dollars, but it cost less than a million dollars to do. Wow. And uh, raise the money, and we and three weeks before the movie began is when those guys started making the arrangements to the film crew start to come out to Australia and film us, and uh, and it's great. We were in, you know, we flew out to Australia, and and I mean for them it was the first time they were in Australia, first time they were in England and London and Oxford, first time they were in New York and Washington. It was great. It was oh, it, it was fun to take them around the world and <laughs> and, uh, and film. So it was cool. that's cool. We're looking forward to see that. Wonderful.